Good morning, Calvary. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Take your Bibles and open up to Acts 18, 1 through 11. Acts 18, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to move over to 2 Corinthians here in a moment. Acts 18, 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles." And he left there and went to the house of a man named Hideous Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. It's good to uh, be back after my bout of COVID. A few of you have asked me how I'm doing. I'm like at 88 and a half percent. That's how I'm feeling. It's a little bit of congestion still. I'm not my normal pizzazzy self that you're all accustomed to seeing <laughs> up here, but you know we'll get through. Um, <clears throat> I was vaccinated, and our daughter uh, caught it from school. She wasn't vaccinated, and then she came home, and, 
And uh, I would say the vaccines work really well, uh, but if you're brushing the teeth of a six-year-old that is COVID-infected and they try talking and spit on you, then you're, you're pretty much a goner uh, with the vaccine or not the vaccine. So um, in any case, uh, thanks to Pastor Eric for preaching last minute uh, last week. I sent him a, a text on Thursday morning and I said, would you be able to preach? And he graciously agreed to do so. I always love how when he comes up to preach, he's like, thank you to Pastor Gerald for giving me the opportunity. And I'm like, thank you, Pastor Eric, for taking the opportunities, <laughs> how I always feel when he's done preaching. So uh, before we get into our sermon, I want to give you a quick update on our worship pastor search. So we had uh, Greg Molina here leading worship for us last week, and uh, he spent the week with us. Uh, met with the elders, he met with our staff, met with the worshiping teams, met with uh, our uh, little sub uh, team that we have that uh, considers race issues. And so he had a great time, and uh, we had a great time connecting with him. And after all of that, uh, we felt compelled to move forward. And so I offered him the job uh, earlier this week, and he accepted. And uh, so he will be our new worship pastor uh, going forward. I hope he is watching right now, and he heard your applause, and I'm sure he'll be encouraged by that. But he had a really fun time with you all. As he mentioned, if you were here last week, he grew up at Calvary, so it's fun for him to come home. So uh, Greg, his wife Ashley, and then they have a little daughter named Stevie, who's just a couple months old. They have to kind of wrap up their ministry there, sell a house that they own there, and then transition to Oak Park. So it's going to be a number of weeks yet probably before we see him leading worship or more, and I'll keep you posted on that. But do be praying for Greg and for Ashley and for Stevie and for their church and back there, and then for us as well, that we would be all able to come together seamlessly and have a great time uh, getting to know each other and also worshiping the Lord together in the months and years ahead. So thank you for your, your uh, prayers with that. All right, so back into our sermon series, All Things New, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. And today we're looking at two passages 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10, which is a part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And then we're going to look at chapter 18 of Acts, which uh, records Paul's time in Corinth, where he first met the Corinthians and planted the church there. And as we're going to see, each passage highlights a distinct way in which Jesus ministers to us in the midst of our weakness. And sometimes he meets us in our weakness, and he gives us the grace of endurance. And sometimes he meets us in our weakness, and he just gives us the grace of a break. And the truth is, we all need both types of graces at various points in our lives, just like Paul. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show from these two passages, these two distinct types of grace... Then I want to close with a few pastoral comments about how to discern which grace Jesus is offering to you. My prayer this morning is that the grace of Jesus would meet you in your weakness, whatever kind of grace that is, whatever kind of situation you have as you need it. So we start with 2 Corinthians 12 and the grace of endurance. So as you turn to 2 Corinthians in your Bibles, which you've brought to church with you this morning. Let me say a brief word about the context here of this passage in 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, comes at the tail end of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And 2 Corinthians is actually Paul's third letter to the Corinthians, which 
makes this 2 Corinthians really 3 Corinthians. But we call it 2 Corinthians because we lost the real 2 Corinthians. And so if any of that confuses you, don't worry about it. It's not that important anyway. So we get then to learn in Acts 18 that Paul is the founder of the church in Corinth. So Paul is here writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, this is the church that he founded. But he didn't, he didn't found it by himself. He was the initial, he was the first one to drop into Corinth. We see that in Acts 18. He's the first one to preach the gospel there, and he's the first to begin to establish the church. But after Paul left, after a year and a half, others came in and began to work in that field that Paul had planted. And some of those folks, some of these other apostles and uh, teachers and preachers and pastors that came in after him, they were quite charismatic and quite compelling. So one of these uh, apostles is a man named Apollos. We read about him in Acts 18. And he hailed from the urbane and sophisticated town of Alexandria. And Alexandria uh, was the great metropolis in Egypt, and it was known as kind of a cultural center of learning in the Roman world. And Apollos was every bit the Alexandrian man. He was a compelling figure. He was learned. He was articulate. He was sophisticated. He was a very good preacher. He was probably tall and good-looking too. I tend to think of... uh, uh, Apollos, sort of like if you took Tim Keller, Matt Chandler, N.T. Wright, and Brad Pitt, and you rolled them all together, like that would be Apollos. And so there was these, these and they were, they, were, they were beginning to be called super apostles, or at least that's what Paul refers to them, right? So there was these super apostles, like Apollos, that had come in after Paul, and they were just really compelling. And so factions had begun to form around these various super apostles, And so Paul writes to the Corinthians to remind them that their true loyalty belongs to Jesus, first and foremost. And then also that even though Paul was not as charismatic as some of these super apostles, he was nonetheless their spiritual father, and they should continue to pay attention to his spiritual guidance. And so at the beginning of chapter 12, he's underscoring the fact that he does have some things to talk about, and he references that he was given a vision of the Lord Jesus where he was raptured up into the heavens. And he talks about how this vision was so great and it was so extraordinary that he was tempted even to pride. And that brings us to verse 7 here then in our passage in 2 Corinthians 7, or 12, verse 7. Paul tells the Corinthians that in order to keep him grounded, Paul was given by Jesus a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to harass him. Now, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. Uh, Pauline scholars have all sorts of different guesses, which just shows that we don't really know uh, what it was. But whatever it was, this thorn was harassing, Paul says, and it was clearly unpleasant. Unpleasant enough that just like Jesus prayed three times to be spared from the cross, Paul pleads three times for the thorn to be taken away. But just like the Father said to Jesus, so Jesus then says to Paul, no, the thorn in the flesh is going to stay. But it's not just a hard no. It's not just a compassionless no. Look what Jesus says to Paul in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul wanted freedom from the thorn. But instead, Jesus gave him him grace to endure the pain of the thorn. And that was enough for Paul. 
Listen to what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content in weakness, insult, hardship, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul came to see here in 2 Corinthians 12 that even though he was in himself too weak to endure the pain and the trial of this thorn, Jesus was strong enough. <clears throat> and that's why for a Christian, Paul learns, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to be insufficient. It's okay to be powerless. Because when we are weak and we are out of strength, Jesus comes and he gives us grace to endure beyond the limits of our strength. And we endure ultimately not by our own strength, but we endure by the strength that Jesus offers to us. We endure by his strength. So this is why Paul will later say to the church in Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe that's a word that some of you need to hear in the midst of your weakness this morning. Because maybe life is hard for you. And I know it's hard for some of you because I read it in your prayer requests week after week after week after week. And you've been asking for release from the same trial, freedom from the same thorn, as long as I can remember reading your prayer requests. And you've not just prayed three times for the thorn to be taken away. You've prayed 303 times. But so far, the answer keeps coming back as no. Well, keep praying because Jesus taught us that we should pray and not give up. We should pray like the persistent widow. So there's nothing wrong with continuing to ask. But don't place all of your hopes in the removal of the thorn. Because sometimes Jesus just won't take it away. Instead, maybe Jesus is saying to you, like he said to Paul, my grace, it's sufficient for you. And my power in your life is perfected in the midst of this painful circumstance that exposes your weakness. Because we will never know the depths of Christ's strength in our lives until we have had to endure trials beyond the end of the limits of our own strength. So if you find yourself at the end of your rope and out of gas this morning, and the trial just isn't going away, then know that Jesus comes to you this morning and he offers you the fuel of his own strength. And it's in the power of Jesus' strength that you can keep going in the midst of that trial. You really can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The grace of endurance doesn't take away the pain of the thorn. It doesn't take away the difficulty of the harassment. And things may remain scary in your circumstance, perhaps even dark. But Jesus' grace of endurance is sufficient, and his power truly is perfected in weakness. So don't despise your weakness. Rather, it's embrace your weakness. For it's when we embrace our weakness that Christ's power comes alive in us. 
So that's the first kind of grace, the grace of endurance. But there's a second kind of grace. A second kind of grace that Jesus gives in the midst of our trials, the grace of a break. And for some of us, it's this second kind of grace that we most especially need this morning. So for that, we turn to Acts 18, Paul's experience in Corinth. And as you turn to Acts 18 in your Bibles, which you've brought to church with you this morning, thank you, let me say a quick word about a pattern that we see in Paul's ministry, because we're going to see this same pattern emerge here in Acts 18. And we have to understand this pattern to make sense of fully why Jesus says to Paul what he says in verse 9. So Paul was an itinerant preacher and a church planter. And if you've been familiar with Christianity, you've been around, you've read the book of Acts, you know that Paul was one of the main founders of Christianity. And next to Jesus, it's it's the Apostle Paul who spreads the gospel around the Roman world. So he's going all over the Roman world, preaching and planting churches. And if we look through Acts, we can see a clear pattern emerge in his ministry. When Paul would get to a town, he'd be new in town, the very first thing is that he would go and he would preach the gospel to who? The Jews. He would go and he preach the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue. And he was a Jew, and he said, I'm preaching to my own people. So he preached to them because they were his own people, and also because the gospel, the, the promises of God came first to the Jews. So he would go and he would preach the gospel to the Jews, to the Jew first and then the, then the Gentile. That was his pattern. So Paul always started with the Jews, but invariably, the second thing that would happen is that the Jewish leaders would drive him out of town, or drive him out of the synagogue, rather. They would, they would reject his message, and they would drive him out of the synagogue. And so then the, fourth, the, the third thing, rather, that he would do is he would begin to preach to the Gentiles. So he'd go to the Gentiles, preach the gospel. They would gladly receive the message. Many of them would get baptized. And then the fourth and final step in this pattern is that the Jews who kicked him out of the synagogue, when they saw the Gentiles receiving the grace of God and converting, they would go rile up the town and Paul would get beaten. So either they would beat him, they would rile up the Gentiles to beat him, or they would go get the Roman authorities to come and beat him. There was just a lot of beating going on for the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is recounting all of his trials, and he talks about the countless beatings that he has endured. I mean, I can remember all the beatings that I've had, zero, right? So, like, I, my beatings are countless also. You can't count them because they haven't existed, right? But Paul has been beaten so many times that he can't even remember how many times he's been beaten. Right? So he has experienced lots of hardship. Paul visits town after town after town, beginning with Damascus, which is where he is converted. And from Damascus to Jerusalem, to Perga, to Iconium, to Lystra, where he was stoned, to Derbe, to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Berea, his visits near, into nearly all of these towns erupt into conflict with the Jewish leaders. And they end in either a beatdown or Paul fleeing out of town right before the beatdown happens. So by the time we get to Corinth in Acts 18, Paul's had an especially volatile run. He's not too far off of the stoning that he had received in Lystra. The most peace he's had recently was when he was in Athens, which we looked at a couple weeks ago with Pastor Eric. 
And there he preached to the pagan philosophers, and they made fun of him, but they didn't kick and punch him. So that's good. So he leaves town from Athens, and he gets to Corinth. And that takes us to verse 1 in chapter 18. Paul arrives in Corinth. He connects with Aquila and Priscilla, who are fellow Jews. And they later became very good friends, became traveling companions of Paul. And Paul, it seems at first, is splitting his time between tent making with Aquila and Priscilla and then preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And eventually, though, Silas and Timothy, who are traveling companions with Paul, who eventually catch up with Paul, they join him in Corinth in verse 5. And so Paul sets aside the tent making and he begins preaching full time. And then we begin to see the old pattern emerge again here. As was his custom, Paul has been preaching to the Jews in the synagogue. That's step one. Then in verse 6, the Jewish leaders revile him and drive him out of the synagogue. That's step two. So then Paul shakes out his garments and begins preaching to the Gentiles who gladly accept his message and begin being baptized. That's step three. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that many Gentiles in Corinth believed the gospel and were baptized. So it's right here at the end of verse 8 that we and Paul, no doubt, anticipate step 4, the obligatory beatdown or the run for your life, whichever comes first. So I want to pause here at this moment, right between verses 8 and verse 9, right on the cusp of step 4. And I want us to imagine how Paul is doing. As he's in Corinth that night when Jesus comes to him in verse 9. A side hobby of mine is reading books on World War II, which you might think if that's your hobby that explains your anxiety this, uh, earlier this winter. I don't, summer, I don't know. But uh, one of the things often noted by war historians is how every soldier, even the best soldiers, had a psychological breaking point. And as World War II dragged on and on and the casualties increased on both sides, both sides began to run out of fresh soldiers. And so they kept their veterans longer and longer on the front lines with fewer and fewer breaks. And inevitably, even the best soldiers, if left too long on the front lines, would crack because a person can only go for so long bearing up under physical threat and the threat, uh, physical um, pain and the threat of physical pain before they crack. Paul was a great man. He was a legendary man. But how many times could he keep, could he keep going into town after town and getting beaten or threatened with a beating before he cracked? By the time he gets to Corinth, He's been at the front for a long time. There's only two times in the book of Acts where we see clearly that Paul was afraid. The first time is when we first really meet Paul in Acts chapter 9, when to his horror, he realizes that he has been persecuting Messiah. I mean, talk about like walking into a screen door of fear. He all of a sudden realizes that he has been persecuting Messiah. It terrifies him. The second time is here in Acts 18. And we know that he's afraid at the end of verse 8 
Because Jesus comes to Paul in a vision at night in verse 9, right before the persecution is about to begin. And the first thing he says to Paul is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what? Well, listen to what Jesus says. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of being beaten again. You're not going to get beaten up here, Paul. Jesus comes to him and comforts Paul in his fear because apparently Paul was afraid. He was afraid enough that he was even tempted to be silent, to quit preaching. Maybe he's anticipating the opposition that's about to come. He's like packing his bag that night. It's kind of what I envision him doing, right? He's like getting his stuff ready because he knows he's going to have to run out of town ahead of the be down. And Jesus comes to him, says, don't be afraid and don't quit preaching. I want you to notice, though, what Jesus doesn't say to Paul. He doesn't say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus didn't say, well, Paul, I know you're scared of being beaten again. I see you packing your bag there. But remember when you said you can do all things through me who strengthens you? Well, here I am, and I'm giving you strength to endure more persecution. That's one of the things my strength enables you to do. I know the beatings are tough, but my grace is sufficient. Besides, none of this should be surprising. Remember the gospel call, Paul? Death to self, take up your cross, lose your life to find it. So take a minute to catch your breath, then you got to get back out there. You can do it with my strength. That's not what Jesus says to Paul. It's that he took a look at Paul. He saw his tiredness. He saw his exhaustion, his suffering, and he saw his fear. And instead of offering Paul enduring grace, he simply offered him a break. He came to Paul with compassion and tenderness and said, it's okay, Paul. I know how hard it's been lately, and I see how hard you've been trying. I can feel your exhaustion and your fear. You, I know you don't have the strength to keep going. You've been brave for so long, but you don't have to keep being brave. Here, just hold my hand for a minute. Take a break. I've got lots of people in this town. No one's going to touch you. No one's going to harm you for as long as you're here. And what a relief that must have been in that moment for Paul to know that he could go to sleep that night without worrying about being beaten the next day. To know he didn't have to keep enduring. Sometimes when we've run out of gas, sometimes Jesus steps in and he gives us more gas so that we can keep going. That's enduring grace. But sometimes he simply steps in and invites us to rest a bit on the side of the road. That's the grace of a break. And maybe that's the grace some of you need this morning. Jesus isn't offering you more enduring grace. He's just simply offering you a break. Some of you, like Paul, have been pushing and plowing and charging forward and you're exhausted. And what you used to be able to do, you just can't do it anymore. 
tasks that you used to perform with ease, you just can't seem to face today. Maybe they're big and worthy ministry tasks like Paul. Or maybe they're just the run-of-the-life tasks, run-of-the-mill life tasks that all of us face, like parenting, marriage, work, school. Or maybe they're just the little tasks of doing life that seem too much. You want to keep pressing forward. Perhaps you feel like you should be able to keep pressing forward. You think that someone with stronger faith and more enduring grace would be able to keep pressing forward because after all, Paul says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we can, except when we can't. Sometimes we falter in our faith and we get scared and we shrink back and we just can't do it anymore. And if that's you this morning, it may be time for you to receive the grace of a break. If Paul needed a break, we all need a break. No one is above it. Jesus offers his grace freely, without judgment, without a disappointed look. Jesus didn't come to Paul in verse 9 and be like, Paul, okay, fine, take a break. I mean, if that's what you need, take a break. He comes, to Jesus, he comes to Paul with compassion. He looks at Paul. He sees that Paul is at the end of himself, and he gives the break freely, graciously, with no tsk tsk. Some of you need to give yourself the break that Jesus is trying to give you. So we've seen two types of grace this morning, the grace of endurance and the grace of a break. Both are gifts from Jesus, and both are necessary for all of us at various points in our lives. But how do we know which grace is for which time? How do we know which grace Jesus is offering us this morning? I want to close by offering a thought on how to discern which grace Jesus might be trying to offer you this morning. Sometimes taking a break from a trial is not an option. And whether it's a health issue or I'm thinking of folks that are just, just getting into the, the difficulties of old age. And there's not going to be a release of the thorn. There's no break from the trial that is coming. You'd love a break. You'd pray for a break, but no break is coming. And if a break can't or isn't coming, at that point, it's easy to know which grace you need. Enduring grace is the only grace that Jesus is offering. But sometimes, like Paul, we push forward into our trials. We have a sense of calling or a sense of responsibility. We've been actively choosing the hard path because we believe that we should, because we believe that's the path of faith. It's the path of loyalty to Jesus. But we find ourselves exhausted is Jesus offering us the grace of endurance to keep pushing forward, or is he offering the, us the grace of a break? So here's a question to consider as you consider that. What are you more naturally inclined towards, enduring or relaxing? What's your natural set point, enduring or relaxing. Both of these natural capacities are gifts from God. 
the capacity to endure through trials, and the capacity to relax and enjoy life. These are gifts from God. Is your life full of shoulds? I should do this, and I should do that, and I should get after that, and I should be better about that. Is your life full of shoulds and hard work and sacrifices? Then you're probably naturally pretty good at enduring. Is your life full of contentment and easy smiles and carefree moments? Then you're probably pretty good at taking breaks. Whatever your natural inclination, look to the opposite grace. That's probably the grace that you need. So, for instance, I'm pretty good at enduring. I'm not flashy like the Apostle Paul wasn't flashy. I'm a lot like Paul in that regard. I mean, I get, a, I get that a lot. You're a lot like Paul. And uh, anyway, I'm not flashy, but I've got pretty good deep reserve of stamina. And I can just keep enduring and plodding along. William Carey was asked once, he was a great missionary, he was asked, what is the secret to success? And he says, my secret is I can plod. And if I have a secret, it's probably that I can plod. I just plod along toward what I believe I should be doing and the Lord has called me to. It's one of, it's one of my gifts. But somewhere along the way, I think I lost sight of the fact that my natural capacity to endure was a gift from Jesus. Not inherent in my own self, but it was a gift from Jesus. And so in order to remind me that my capacity to endure was a gift, Jesus withdrew it. And I got to a place this summer where I was so at the end of my strength. I was so afraid in my anxiety and in my weakness, so at the end of myself, that the only thing left for me was a break. I think if Jesus had come to me with like, I've got a dose full of enduring grace for you, I would have just run screaming into the night. I couldn't endure anymore. I just needed a break. And that was very humbling. Very humbling. Because to need a break meant that I was weak. And it got me in touch with my weakness in ways that I have not been in touch before. But it also brought me in touch with Christ's power and Christ's grace and Christ's kindness. And some of you this morning, perhaps, You need to humble yourselves. You need to embrace your weakness. And you just need to take a break. Let Jesus give you the grace of a break. No shame. No judgment. We all have our limits. But for some of you, it's just the opposite. You don't even know the meaning of the word plod. You're happy to take breaks and you always feel refreshed. And you're the kind of person that annoys the kind of people like us who are always plodding along dutifully. But perhaps somewhere along the way, you too have lost sight of the fact that your natural capacity to relax and to take it easy is a gift from Jesus. That's a gift from God. And so in order to remind you that your capacity to relax and rest and be easy is a gift. Jesus has withdrawn it. 
And now you find yourself in a trial with a thorn that is harassing you. And it isn't letting you rest easy. And you're having to learn to be content in Jesus without the grace of a break. You keep wanting to run to breaks, but you can't find a break. Because Jesus isn't taking the thorn away and letting you have a break from the trial. And you're having to learn contentment in the midst of the trial. And that, for you, can be very humbling. Because learning endurance when you can't get the break that you want will get you in touch with the limits of your strength and your own weakness. But as Christ gives you the grace of endurance beyond your own strength, you get in touch with the power of Christ in new ways. So some of you this morning, you need to humble yourselves, you need to embrace your weakness, and you need to learn to endure. And in both cases, whether the grace of a break or the grace of endurance, the grace of Christ will be sufficient for you as you embrace your weakness. So wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever you are weary this morning, lean into the grace that Jesus is offering you, the grace of endurance or the grace of a break. I want to close by one last comment. This last comment is free. You didn't have to put any money in the offering plate for this last comment. But I think it's important here to make this point. Jesus gives us grace so that we can, in part, extend it to others. I mean, he gives us grace because he loves us, but then he gives us this grace so we can be conduits of grace and extend it to others. And he teaches us about both kinds of grace because we need to be able to give both kinds of grace to others. Don't try to give enduring grace to a person who needs the grace of a break. That's bludgeoning. You see someone walking by with a heavy burden on their shoulders and they're stumbling along and they barely can stand and you come along with enduring grace next to them. You can do it. You can do it. How about you just take the burden off their shoulders? Don't try to give enduring grace to someone that needs the grace of a break. It's bludgeoning. But in the same way, don't try to give the grace of a break to a person who needs to learn to endure. That's enabling. Both misuses of grace in those circumstances create more problems. Sometimes we give a fish to the people who we should be teaching to fish. And sometimes we try to teach people to fish who are so exhausted and famished they can't even hold the fishing pole. I think as parents, we can especially be guilty of this. We tend to give to our kids the sort of grace that we ourselves are naturally good at. So we're good at long-suffering and endurance, and so we push our kids towards long-suffering and endurance. But maybe what our kids need from us is just the grace of a break. Or maybe you're the kind of parent who's really good at taking breaks. But what your kids need from you is not to be bailed out with a break every time life gets hard. 
but they need to learn from you the grace of endurance. So as we learn to receive these graces from the Lord, particularly the kind of graces that we're not as naturally predisposed to, it opens us up to be able to give both kind of graces to others in ways that are life-giving and flourishing to our families, to our communities, to our church, to our friends. So wherever you find yourself this morning, receive the graces that God is wanting to give you. Learn to be um, conversant, as it were, in both graces, and then extend both graces to those around you. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing about this amazing grace that Christ has given to us. We're going to reprise the song we sang earlier, Amazing Grace, and uh, God has so graciously given us grace through Christ, and it's free of charge to us. It's received by grace through faith with no cost to ourselves. But it wasn't free because Christ himself paid the cost of this grace that he longs to give us freely today. So let's pray. We'll stand with me here. Let's pray and then have the band come up and we're going to sing about this grace together. Father, thank you that you've given us grace in Christ. Thank you that you know exactly what kind of grace that we need. Sometimes we just need to learn to dig deeper and endure with the grace that you provide. And sometimes we just need to take a step to the side and receive the break that you're wanting to give us. God, you know the stories of folks here this morning. You know what kind of grace people need. And I pray that you would give them the grace that they need, that you would bring them in touch with their weakness, but then bring them in touch with your strength and your power. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.